Welcome to the Addiction Solution Podcast. I'm Michelle Dunbar. Enjoy listening and watching as addiction experts Mark Sheeran and I cover controversial as well as helpful topics on addiction, how to move past it, and other related subjects. As two of the co-founders of the Freedom Model, Mark and I will give you a completely new perspective on the topics that matter to you. We will take to task the Recovery Society's lies and misinformation and replace them with facts, research, and the methods to move on from addiction struggles without 12-step meetings, rehabs, and the shackles of endless recovery. Let's escape the treatment and recovery trap together and learn to be free. Welcome to the truth. It's time for you and those you love to step off the addiction roller coaster for good and learn a solution that works. It's called Move Past Addiction Masterclass, and it's a free one hour live online class where you'll hear new and empowering information about how to solve addiction for good without steps, meetings, rehabs, or being labeled for life. If you're struggling or you love someone who is, then this masterclass is for you. To enroll in this free one-hour class, click the link provided or go to thefreedommodel.org and choose the date and time that works for you. See you at the masterclass. Hey, everybody. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Addiction Solution Podcast. I'm Michelle Dunbar. And I'm Mark Sheeran. If you're on a PC, listen. Right here, where I'm pointing. <laughs> He's pointing to the QR code for our free live one hour Move Past Addiction Masterclass. That's right. So I always tell people it's the best hour you'll spend if you want to learn how to move past an addiction or what we call substance use. Uh, if, if you want to learn how to move past that um, and you want to do it without rehabs, meetings, endless mat regimens or any of that, we can show you how. So in case this is your first time to our wonderful podcast, Who Are We? I am Michelle Dunbar. And I'm Mark Sheeran. And we wrote with Stephen Slate, The Freedom Model for Addictions, Escape the Treatment and Recovery Trap. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Yeah, escaping the trap, which uh, it looks like Matthew Perry did not do. Yeah, we're going to dedicate, I, I want to officially dedicate this podcast episode to Matthew Perry, to the memory of him, and also to all the people that are trapped in the addiction treatment and recovery trap. And there are many. And I, if you, I, you know, if you can do it, if you have the opportunity, um, I, I spent the weekend re-listening to his audiobook. I got his audiobook was re- released last November, it, and the title of it is Friends lovers, and the big terrible thing. And the big terrible thing is addiction. It's so personified within his book. Um, And I started listening to his book. Uh, He released it in November last year and I got it. I I think I had, I got it on Audible right after it was its release. And I started listening to it and it was so hard to listen to because there are parts of it where he's slurring, he's reading it himself. And and it's just, it's, but it, if you want to see uh, the, one of the most incredibly detailed examples of someone that is in the recovery trap, brainwashed and stuck and just his book, 
we did we did a few well, a few years ago um we did a commentary on beautiful boy yeah. and it's still on our youtube channel there's two parts to it um because beautiful boy was we, you could see the indoctrination in real time of this family of a father and son into the treatment and recovery trap and and that was tra- sad, sad and tragic and they made it sound like it was a like a wonderful story of triumph and it and I I don't know what's happening in that person's life um but based on what we saw in the movie probably he's not free right. um he ended up working in the industry which a lot of people do Matthew Perry actually owned a opened a sober living house within the last few years um because he had decided he had the epiphany he needed to help people because that's a belief system so so but i want to i want to i mean i want to talk about what it's like when you're trapped yeah so um we don't know how he died yet we're doing this podcast only a couple of days later so we're going to we're not going to make an assumption that it was an overdose or something like he drowned in his, in he his, drowned in his home hot tub and he was by himself. Right. So who knows? Um, but that'll come out in time. So, but his life was, uh, truly, uh, wasted and his talent was wasted because he was in the recovery trap. And we're going to talk, she, she wrote notes as she was going through the book and, and listening to it. Um, like, the, the thing, the thing about Matthew Perry that he did so well in his book is he described how much he hated treatment, how they mistreated him, nine million dollars worth of treatment. Okay, how much he absolutely hated it, but how much he supported it. He has supported something that was abusive towards him. Yes. Now I want you to think about the gaslighting it takes. To extract $9 million out of somebody, to be abused and to be blamed for the failure of the very people that were abusing you, that were supposed to be helping you. You want to talk about a mind fuck? Yeah. That, that. I'm sorry, I'm itching my nose because I have allergies like you can't believe. Um, I may have to sneeze and stuff like that. Because the heat's on. Yeah, we just turned on the heat and I'm like, wow, I am itchy. So, um, so. So there's this super sad thing, this narrative that a drug addict should go to treatment and be humbled by the industry. You know, we need to deflate their ego because a drug addict has an ego that's out of control. And they, you know, and especially with these these Hollywood types that oh go my in, God. that they they just see them as a giant mark, you know, for money. And they really brainwash them into believing that they need to be humbled. And the thing about being an actor, an actress, or a rock star, whatever, is you're a pro. You're out there doing this. You're you're a professional doing something that entertains millions of people. And that's valuable to society. And frankly, I know a lot of people say that Matthew Perry wasn't that talented. Dude, I thought he was hilarious. I loved his timing. I thought he was a funny dude. And his expressions, I still think that I think it's so freaking tragic, you know, what he got sucked into. I know it. it, The book, like, right at the beginning of the book, he said, my mind is out to kill me. Yeah, Yeah. My mind is out to kill me like it's somebody else 
other than him in his mind, which Mark talks about all the time. Like who, who is out to kill you? Yeah. What, what entity, what nebulous force, what are you talking about? It's you. There's nothing wrong with you. You're making choices based on the information you have. So the treatment industry's main goal is to create a boogeyman that they're rallying against for you and that you are broken. And he took it hook, line and sinker. Now, the truth of the matter is he quietly was desperately questioning it the whole time, but that that spun into, oh, that's your addict self-talking. Yes. Jesus, man. I mean, that's such a, such a gaslighting nightmare. I went through it too. Yeah. Yeah. If you questioned anything, then yeah, that's your stinking thinking. That is, you know, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta stop thinking. You gotta just do what you're told. And the other part of this that he, he bought into fully was this idea. And he looked for things in his childhood. My guess he's, is he spent hours and upon hours upon hours with therapists looking for his trauma because he came up with a ton. He even blamed a doctor who gave him, you know, he's like, when I was, you know, two months old, I was colicky. So I was given phenobarbital. Well, yeah, you and probably tens of thousands of other infants at that time period, it was the 1960s. Okay. Phenobarbital was given to everybody. Yeah. And, and you know what? Everybody doesn't have the problems you have. And, and then, then he, he talks about, he want, he talks about that he wanted to call the book unaccompanied minor because that was his self-image. Yeah. That he was this traumatized kid who grew up with divorced parents. And you know what? I, maybe he was. Maybe he was. You right. Know? I, I, I My parents are divorced. His parents are divorced. Yeah. And I didn't like it. And it ended in some really awful shit in my life. And, um, but that's not why I got high. No. I, or drunk. Um, it did become more of a reason later as I went into therapy and rehashed all that shit and realized after years of that, that that was a fruitless venture and it was time to just let go and move on and become an adult and let my past be my past, get out of my hometown and get away from everybody. And, and then I became happy, you know, and I see now I see, you know, everybody I meet has that same story almost, you know, you yeah, just have to get and, the hell and, out of Dodge. Well, and look at, look at, so, so you spend all this time, he spent $9 million. He spent all this time searching for the trauma. He found it because if we all look back at our childhoods, it was, it's there oh God, yeah. for many of us, it's there. Right. But you can't change that. Like there's no way that that changes. It's, it's a memory it's in your past. Right. So, so if, it, if you start thinking of the trauma again, is that a trigger? Like, okay. So we spent all that money looking for that. He spent all this money breaking down his ego right? He had to break down his ego. Having them break down his ego. Having them break down his ego. Abuse him. But let me tell you something. If you listen to his book, he didn't have one. He had such an inferiority complex from a young age, which he admits to. He thought his parents were these beautiful, wonderful people, even though they were divorced. Um, and he could never measure up. He had, a, and a, the reason he became a funny guy was because he was so painfully insecure 
And yes, he started liking alcohol. He started liking alcohol. Why? Because he believed in its magic, which is why everybody drinks alcohol. Right. Excessively. Exactly. Because they believe in the magic. He believed he needed alcohol to talk to women, um, to be funnier, to, I mean, he believed it for all these things, but you know what? He never, never identified that. Yeah. It's nowhere in the book. Nowhere in the book does he realize, well, what he says is I needed alcohol for these things, but I can't have it. Right. Because I have a disease. Because I have a disease. What did he say? Hold on. Hold on. I got, I got some quotes. I got to put on my glasses. So I want to get back to, while she's looking for that, I want to get back to this idea that you pay people to abuse you. Yeah. Right. And you pay people to tell you that you're broken, to tell you. And meanwhile, almost everybody I've ever spoken to that, that came out of rehab said, you know, that was bullshit. That None of it was really accurate. But then you go back and you go back and you'll rewrite your history. He was so, yes, he was so consumed with this narrative that he's an addict, that it became his entire world. Oh, absolutely. It was his entire identity. The quote I was looking for was addiction is an illness and I didn't stand a fucking chance. That was the quote. And I thought, so it's personified. It's the big terrible thing. Yeah, Addiction big is the man. big, yeah. terrible thing that attacks you, but it's your mind. And, and, and all of this is, I think, th- I think one of the saddest parts about it is, is he still believed he didn't stand a fucking chance. He had, he hired at one point, he had two sober coaches, babysitters, right? People he was paying, I'm sure a, a lot of money. Um, and a nurse, uh, maybe one or two nurses that were around yeah, him. Yeah, and a doctor on staff, full time. Yes, and and all of these people were designed to keep him from doing what he really wanted to do. And the thing about it is, he be- he believed he needed this thing, alcohol, opiates, benzos. He believed he needed. Now, the truth of the matter was, he was still being prescribed a bunch of this stuff, even after he was quote unquote in recovery, and. And then he needed people since this entity called addiction was out to get him. He needed uh, a shield of people to stop him from being, you know, he's this biochemically driven monster that they've convinced him of. And, and here's the crazy part. The freedom model is all about why do you do what you do internally? Why do you think the way you think and you can change your thoughts? Very simple. Mm-hmm. And we just had a, somebody come through our complete addiction solution program, the workshop where they fly in and they spend days with us, a couple of days. And the lady said, geez, I always think it can't be this simple. And I said, the only reason you think that, the only reason you think that it isn't just decision making, like any decision, whether you're going to get high or not or moderate or whatever, is because somebody in our society, in the recovery society, has convinced you it's more complicated than that. They've made it complicated. And Matthew Perry's entire existence was a distraction from him making decisions. Yeah. It, he could have easily, easily figured out the reasons he liked it, looked at his positive drive principle. Why did he do the things he did? What was he trying to be happier with? How was he using the drug? What was the relationship with the drug? And then decide maybe, it, you know, and then challenge that. And maybe it's not so great. 
right? And, and then change. That's what we do with every area of our lives, whether it's a bad marriage, a good marriage, a career, going to college, whether I'm going to get a box of tissues at the store, it doesn't matter. It's all internal decision-making. In the recovery society and in rehab, they made it all about entities that were against him and therefore he needed treatments because he had a lot of money. Yep. Right? So everybody was invested in Matthew never understanding that he was the solution internally. It's, it's, and what's so sad about these Hollywood types is they have money. Yep. And so they're victimized by the system, truly victimized. Now I didn't have money. So how was I victimized? Because of Medicaid, Medicaid funding. It's all a giant financial institution. It has nothing to do with reality. And, and I want to say this, I'm going to say this. I am. Um, whereas I think the majority of people that work in treatment are, are good people. I think the people that prey on the Hollywood types and the elites are not. Yeah. They're, they're dirtbags, dude. You I'm know, sorry. and if you take money to be a sober coach, uh, I think you're a terrible person. Yeah. I it's, think it's just weird. Maybe, maybe you believe it. Maybe you believe in it, but here's the irony. Here's the irony. All these sober coaches are sober themselves. So they're supposed to be giving it for free. I mean, isn't that how you're supposed to keep it is you got to give it away to keep it. So, so I don't understand right. taking money to babysit someone right. to try and keep them sober because no, you know, I mean, even people in AA know you can't keep somebody else sober. Yeah. Let's make a contrast between what we do in that, because I think it's really important that there's a model that actually is sane. And that is when I, when I coach somebody. I'm not a sober coach. No, I think that's ridiculous. It's right. I'm a coach that gives them an education on the facts, the research on the fact that you are your solution, that you have decision-making and let's challenge the actual benefits of the drug. And then may, then you can make a decision for yourself. Cause I believe you're entirely capable. We believe you're entirely capable. The freedom model believes you've always been capable. You've always been doing what you wanted to do. And it's all about you. There's nobody, I, I would never, if somebody said, I've had people we ask We have me, had people offer us a lot of money to, to come and stay with them. <laughs> yeah. To, why don't you fly back with me back in the early days? I, I said, you're out of your mind. No, no. no this. I, I, I would oh, never do that. Why never, would never? Yeah. I would be stealing your money. I would yeah, be stealing I your money. I don't have the ability to keep you sober. Yeah. It's, it's against the laws of uh, nature of autonomy. Unless you, I lock you in a room, right? Like I lock you. But even now you have apps and stuff. You can get stuff delivered. Yeah, yeah, so. It's so it's just so ridiculous. It's so ridiculous. And, and look at if, if you're a sober coach and you're involved in that, I would love to debate you. You know, we could do it. We could put the headphones on and let's, let's, well, I want to say sober, maybe a sober coach was the wrong word. It's sober companion. Yeah. That's like, better. I think it's the, that's like, better. what is the official, your official thing? And I think they officially are called sober coaches, but they're really just babysitters. Yeah. There's somebody, these people lived with him. They lived with him to try to stop you from doing what you want to do because he believed he could never be alone. Right. That was the other part. If you listen to the book now, I want to go to a part of the book that I thought was really interesting in a tragic way. And that is he talks about his father and initially you hear that his father was a, like a six, seven 
a drink a day drinker. Vodka, or vodka tonics were his thing. And it ended up being Matthew Perry's drink of choice as well. And, and so he would talk about his dad and the vodka tonics and he, you know, how his dad would be like, this is the happiest part of my day. And then of course he juxtaposed it with, this is the happiest part of my day. And here I am living with him and he, his son is with him. And the happiest part of his day is his vodka tonic. Right. So there was a little bit of, Oh, I'm, I'm inferior still. Right. And then he says, well, one day when you get later in the book, he says one day, my dad uh, got drunk and fell down. He was old. He's older at the time. I, th- I don't think this was that long ago. And um, and his wife, his dad's wife, said to his dad, "Well, is this what you want to be? You you want to be a fall down drunk?" And he said, it, "My dad went for a walk, and he came back from his walk, and he decided, nope, I don't want to be that. And he's never had a drink since. Right. And, and common, common, by the way." That's how nearly everyone solves their problem yeah. is they make a decision. Well, everyone, everyone solves their problem making a decision. Let's just put it that way. Matthew Perry was pissed about it. He was pissed about it. He was like, basically like, fuck my dad that he could just stop like that. And I can't. And it became all about how he can't, he can't. Yeah. That he's somehow different. That he's and, different. And that's just a lie that he was told. By those who have a vested interest in keeping you sick. Yeah. And and I Michelle made a good point. Not these people aren't malicious people in treatment, but when you have a vested interest and your livelihood is dependent on you being in a hierarchy of power over people's decisions, and you're trained that way, you're going to make sure that you push the agenda that this person has no power of their own. Yeah. Because now all of a sudden you as a professional are needed and you're going to make a lot of money. And, and so, so it's not in a lot of cases, it's not conscious that people make these careers and end up in this place, pushing this agenda, but it's human nature. If you're not careful to frankly push an agenda, that's going to make you money. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's, it's, it's truly tragic. And you know, the, the tragedy, the, the real tragedy here too, is that here he was doing something that clearly wasn't working, hadn't been working for 20 years, still doing it, believing that he was the problem, believing that he was permanently broken, that he wasn't doing recovery right. He wasn't doing it good enough. And, and how many of you out there are feeling the same way? Yeah. I felt that way. I felt that way. You know, and then you get the chronic relapser thing going on, that label. I felt that way sober in AA, that I somehow wasn't doing it good enough. That's true. That's that how- I was never enough, that I I wasn't being of enough service to other people. And, and I had people that I was serving making, telling me that. Yeah. Yeah. You place yourself in a terrible, terrible position. Um, but that's the cult, right? That's the cult of recovery. This is a cult. This is a religion, folks. This has nothing to do with reality, has nothing. It has to do with power. Yeah. It has to do with power. It's a power play between sponsors and sponsees, between therapists and, and their patients, between, uh, rehab staff and the patients. It's, it's that's just the way it works. It's a power play. And it's been that way since the fifties, Yeah, you know, really in AA's roots is where it started. 
um, which by the way, the early days of AA were not a success. They were an abysmal failure. And we've been failing with people with these theories ever since. And the thing about Matthew Perry's book is if you want to read of exactly how the system works yep. and manipulates a human being into believing they are the problem, when clearly the system, if it was truly a disease and you spent $9 million doing every type of conceivable type of treatment to the point of paying people to babysit you and you still can't stop, maybe there's something wrong with the system, you know, and, and that was never questioned with Matthew because they're so good at gaslighting you. Well, you know, another part of, of this tragedy is that he felt inferior his whole life with one exception. Now he felt like he took on the identity of like the world's worst addict. Yes. The valiant battle. Yes. Yes. That became his everything. That became his whole persona was that he was the, this, I'm such a bad addict that my colon exploded. He's talked about his colon exploding throughout that book. Like the whole book was up. It could have been called that. Um, and because of his opiate use, his colon exploded. And, and that made him the worst of the worst of the worst. And he talked about it with a certain pride. Yeah. Junkie pride. I used to call it, you know, it's just a, a, a shitty term, but I see it all the time where, where you get so deep into recovery that your, your only, your whole entity, your whole identity, your, the entity that you are is now you are an addict. That's what you are. You're a person in recovery. You must define yourself as a person in recovery, right? You're no longer the addict. You're now a person in recovery. Well, wh why do I need to be either? Right. Why, why, why do I need to label myself either? Why can't I just be a guy who had a problem at one time and I've solved it? Yeah. He believed he couldn't be loved, that nobody would ever love him. He was afraid to be in a, uh, interpersonal relationships. That's all therapy. I'm sorry. There's so much therapy does that. I, I've been around therapists my whole life mm -hmm. and they instill more crap in your head. So many normal people, you know, I look at, when you deal with real hardcore mental illness, like deep schizophrenics and, and that sort Which of thing. Which we have dealt with. Yeah, we have. Um, that's a different ball game of problems. Absolutely that's a different, different realm. Now, obviously there's a spectrum, but at some point you get into a place where it's a workable scenario and the person's enough in reality that it's workable. And we're treating people like Matthew Perry, like me, like Michelle, and maybe like you, as if they are no different than a schizophrenic, that they can't decide for themselves. Right. They need to be babysat. They need to be institutionalized. They have a disease. There is no disease, folks. It's been disproven endlessly for decades. They don't even call it one anymore. They got to go the disorder route because they still need the money, you know? Um, but they're, but they're, you know, so they're not going to get rid of all of the labels. Uh, but we did. You know, you can shed the addict identity. You can, he could have too. He could well, have too. That's the thing. Like, like now can anybody imagine, cause I know he couldn't imagine himself, but, but can anybody imagine Matthew Perry not being this tragedy, tragic addict, um, that he had become. And that, you know, I think one of the worst things he could have done was written a book, um, yeah. about 
the book is his, I mean, if you've ever sat in an AA meeting, you know, in an anniversary meeting with somebody telling their drunk logs, telling their story, um, the whole book is that. And, and, and it, and it's, it's bursting with, um, God, just fear based. It's, it's like every cliche is in there. Every fear-based tactic he learned and propaganda he learned. I mean, when he said, and I list when I was listening to it a year ago, almost a year ago now, at the beginning of this year, I thought, oh, he's in trouble. He's in trouble because he genuinely yeah, we talked about that. Yeah. He, Mark and I talked about it. He we he genuinely believes that he can't be alone ever for the rest of his life. He genuinely believes that um that the the disease is doing pushups, um, opiates. He had to be on opiates for the, for the pain that he had based on all of the health issues he has, but the opiates were the devil. They were everything. They were the angel and the devil. Like he had all of it cooked in there. Right. The addictiveness lore. Mm -hmm. And, and just, and I thought, Oh, this is, this is a recipe for disaster. So I, I think that, um, if you, I would read the book. Yeah. I, I would read the book, uh, you know, with this, read our book and then read his book. And you'll absolutely see um, the sadness. And it's a book of what not to do. Yeah, It's a book of how you should not take on what he took on. If, you know, it's, it's literally a manual of how you become immersed in a cult to your death. Well, you know, and we don't see, uh, can I just say something sad. quick? We don't see the fact that he had the money to do this. The people that we've seen go down this road are usually go down this road so deeply are the people that have the money to do it. Oh yeah. 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 You can't, you can't get that kind of treatment and they, and the treatment industry absolutely uses you. Yeah. They pray right on you. They, They see you come in a mile away. And I mean, you, you, we have, we have worked with people who have, you know, paid millions to these high end luxury rehabs, millions and millions of dollars. They've been in and out for long periods of time and they're so deeply ingrained. The, 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 all of it, the, the brokenness of them is, is such a part of them that to unravel it is, is really difficult. It's really twisted to run a luxury rehab tell the the person the hollywood elite that they need to ego deflate them while they use them for their money by saying hey can i talk about the fact that you're at a rehab and we're going to talk about it it's sort of in vogue and and you know and then they become a spokesperson for that rehab so on the one hand they're willing to use their 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 ego i don't even think it's ego well, i they're, think some of these people now just put these rehabs on retainer and just yeah. Keep funneling in and out, in and out, in and out, you know, because that's their way of life. That is a way of life for them. But they exploit them at the same time mm-hmm. that they're saying we shouldn't have your ego be blown up. And oh, then they, right. And, and oh then my they, God. and then they use them yep. for their ego. You know, it's disgusting. Now I'm going to tell you to be an actor, an A-list actor, even a B-list actor takes huge balls to me. Mm-hmm. I think that that's an amazing skill. I think Matthew Perry was awesome. I, was did, I was a super fan. Super talented. Me I was too. a fan. I, I always was. 
funny. I just, yeah. The the, the goofy guy at the party that could make fun of himself. It's hilarious. Yeah. But but people always say, well, Mark, yeah, but deep down inside, it was tragic for him. Well, that may be true. That may be true. Um, But would it have been if he had gotten over this problem, moved on with his life and retained his ability to make people happy? What yeah, a, what, what what a wonderful what a wonderful thing. What if thing. somebody told him he could have grown out he, you know you could grow out of this. Yeah, did you know that you don't have a disease that's a bunch of bullshit and your traumas are relatively normal traumas that a lot of people go through. I'm not being dismissive of your trauma, but truth is it's not a cause of addiction. It's not. They're not and, causal. And and oh by the way, your feelings of inferior feelings of inferiority and negative self-talk is also within a normal spectrum and and you you can disregard it you can change the way you're thinking cognitive behavioral therapy can help that even though it's said in the book that he had tried that too um my guess is he didn't believe that he could change his way of thinking which is probably why it didn't help him and and also if you mix it with any type of addiction therapy yes it, it runs right back into the disease ideals and you're screwed um, so they, they, you can't do CBT cognitive, cognitive behavioral therapy and also do the modern version of recovery. No, the, you can't, you can't because recovery it, says you have a disease that you're powerless over. So, so you can't think your way out of it, but everybody thinks their way out of it. Eventually most people do. Yeah. Most people do. So like we said at the beginning, um, we don't, you know, the, I, we don't know exactly what happened there. Of course, we don't. Um, based on his book, based on the fact that he was afraid to be alone, uh, based on the fact that he was found alone in his hot tub, um, who knows? Yeah. You know, who yeah. knows? All I know is his life itself was a real tragedy. And when I listened to his book early this year, I I thought we should do a podcast on it. And then we just didn't. Because we had a lot of other stuff going on, um, but now seemed like the right time to do it because, because quite frankly, I'm pissed off and sad about um, about his untimely passing, and um, but but I don't know if I should say this or not. <laughs> but I said this. I did. Well, if not, we're gonna edit it out. <laughs> <laughs> but look. If he was sitting in his hot tub, having his vodka tonic, high as a kite, happy and enjoying his life, if that's the way he went out, oh, okay. I, I, I'm not going to edit that out. I think that's great. I agree. I, I agree. mean, people I mean, should be entitled to do what they want to do and live the life they live. I. The problem is that I don't think it ever went that way because they had filled his head with so much bullshit. I know. So even if guilt, he was sitting there doing that, he was probably guilty and shameful. Which just puts it on steroids. And before you know it, you're, you're dead. You know, I that know. could have been the case. So I guess I we'll find out, you know, um, yeah. who knows, who knows, who but, knows, but, but his life was unnecessarily, unnecessarily tragic and, and difficult. And, uh, but the good news is we can learn from that. And if you're in the recovery society, you don't have to be. No. You can move out of it. If you struggle there, if you're in the trap like he was, like I was, like Michelle was, that's what this free book is for. All right. It's free. If you're on your computer, go to the uh, masterclass, which is the QR code right there. Yeah. And it'll be the best hour you've ever spent with us because we'll teach you that you don't need recovery, that you don't need meetings, you don't need rehabs, you don't need any of that nonsense. No, you You can move on with your life. And look, there 
we we offer a lot of different learning options. Um, you go to thefreedommodel.org. They're all there listed for you on that front page, mm -hmm. um, starting with the free masterclass. I recommend that for everyone. Yeah. It's, um, and, and if you can't make the live event, let's say you register for that and you can't make the live event, we record it so you can watch it at your leisure. Yeah. Okay. And get the free book for sure. There's no reason not to get the free book. If you're going to get it digitally, go to our website, uh, thefreedommodel.org, and use uh, coupon code FREEDOM100. Yes. So our coaching, because now I'm going to talk about not sober coaching. Put that out of your head. Yeah. Freedom yeah. Model Coaching is one-on-one. -on -one. We basically tutor you in the freedom model. We teach you how to find freedom for yourself. That you are the solution to your own quote unquote addiction, your substance use problems. That's what we call it. We don't call it an addiction because that yeah. implies compelled use. Um, and, uh, yeah, yeah. So, so, all right. Well, I think, I think we've talked enough about it. Um, so anybody out there struggling, or you can always give us a call up in the top corner, which is over there. <laughs> and, and we actually answer the phone. Yes. It's 888-424-2626. So you can always call us. That goes directly to our cell phones. Oh, I did want to say with coaching that we're going to teach you, uh, the opposite of what he learned. Yes. You're going to learn that you are your solution, which I said already, but I want it to be the opposite. He was taught that he had to be subservient to a treatment model. We will teach you to move on with your life. Yeah. Because you can, That's right. you really can, no matter who you are, no matter how bad your problem is, you really have the power to change We've seen some pretty miraculous things in our 34, 34 years, almost 35 years now. Yep, a long time. All right. All right, everybody. Have a great day. Are you struggling with a drug or alcohol problem, but you don't want to go to rehab or group meetings? That's why we created the non-12-step Freedom Model Coaching Program in 2011. Through video conferencing on Zoom or Skype, you can work privately with a certified Freedom Model Coach from your home or office on your schedule. And here's the best part. With the Freedom Model, you'll never be labeled an addict or an alcoholic. And we won't tell you to go to 12-step meetings or hamper your life with endless recovery rituals. Instead, you can learn exactly why addiction isn't a disease and how you can solve the problem for good and move on with your life. Do you want to be completely free from your addiction? Do you want to never have to attend meetings, rehabs, or addiction counseling ever again? And do you want to solve your problem from the comfort of home? Then call us at 888-424-2626 to talk with a Freedom Model coach today and experience the Freedom Model difference.